Good morning. Good morning. Um, you know, when we're singing those songs right now, it reminded me of, uh, you know, something that I'm still learning. Um, you know, hope in Jesus Christ, like those words were saying, like full hope, like like total surrender, like I don't have anything to stand on but Jesus Christ. That is so crucial to our faith, your faith and my faith, and, and how we navigate through life. I was reminded this week why we go to the Lord in prayer, like the manner in how we go, right? Jesus taught the disciples how to pray. It's We all obviously know it's the Lord's prayer. There's a reason why he starts the way he starts, why whatever's in the middle is in the middle, and how he ends how he ends. Do you, we have to understand, right? If we just go to the Lord and say, oh, Lord, I got all these requests and I got all these problems and all these issues. Granted, they may very well be genuine. But if we go to him and that's the first thing we say when we open our mouths. We're going to leave that prayer session more beat up than we were when we started because we didn't acknowledge him. We didn't honor him. We didn't give him praise, adoration, and glory for who he is. You see, you start like that. Then you lay your requests at his feet. And then you finish off by saying in Jesus Christ's name again, reiterating the fact that he is the only one that holds all things in his hands. He's the only one who has the authority and the power And the wisdom and the intellect and the love to do so to make things right. Amen. To make miracles happen. And so I'm 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 worshiping and I'm like, it's clicking to me. It's like that's why we start with worship. (laughs) If you come in this building and all you do is hear a word, yes, the word of God has the power to save your soul, but we serve a God of order. There's an order. It's not some business rhetoric, but it's the fact that we come. Why do we come and gather as a as a corporate group? We we come to praise and glorify God. That's the main reason we're here. The word. How do I say this without mincing my words? If I if I could say it's secondary in in that application, we come to honor God. It's in the honoring and worship of God. And that's the important thing of praise. I'm, I'm listening and, I'm, and I'm, I'm hearing. Like there's not a lot of people in here, but it's loud. And that's a big deal. Because you see, what I'm learning more and more is that praise costs you something. It costs you something to open your mouth and praise God and say, thank you, Lord Jesus, to sing these words and mean it from... The, the inner depths of who you are. It costs you something. It costs you something to put your hands out in, sim- in, in, symbol- in symbolizing that you're acknowledging, you're surrendering to God. You see, many times, and I get there solemn times when you know we're, we're quiet before the Lord. I get that. There's a place and time for all that. But when we come corporately like this, the Bible said that King David danced himself out of his clothes. Because he was so grateful for what the Lord was doing and, and, and how he acknowledged how righteous and how good God was. You see, many times we don't praise the Lord wholeheartedly because we're bound. You see, when Satan has you bound, 
You're not going to open up your mouth. If you're living like hell all the rest of the week, you can't come up in this building and start shouting hallelujah and praise God and thank you, Lord Jesus. And I'm so grateful for what you've done for me. And I'm just loving the fact that you're allowing me a wretch to fellowship with you. And you've transformed me from death to life. You see, you can't do that when you're bound. And I'm, I'm learning that more and more. And, and it's not a it's not a it's not a final judgment on anyone. But I know that I the Lord shows me things and I'm like, wow, Lord, OK, I get it. I get it. I, I see why. And I, I see the liberation in walking in close relationship, in close proximity to Jesus Christ and keeping short accounts with him on a daily basis. So when you come in here, you don't got to fake it. And, and, and there's many times where you're going to be praising the Lord and maybe you don't feel like it. That's the exact time you better praise him. <laughs> Who else to receive that praise, honor and glory but him? You see, praising Jesus and, and, and honoring him the way he should be honored, it helps us. He supernaturally takes the focus off of our struggles and our trials and we're fixated on him. And then he begins to reveal himself in a way where we can understand he's actually walking with us through all of our trials, through all of our circumstances. And then we have a better grasp of things. And then we're like, you know what? It's it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. I mean, the reality is we don't serve out of emotion. Jesus never said, I came to make you happy. But he did say, I came to make you holy. <laughs> what I'm learning more and more, too, as I'm going through my own things is that <clears throat> miracles are received many times through a lot of suffering and struggling and pain. I don't know if I, I may have mentioned that last week, but this is something that, that has been, been revealed to me really close to home, um, you know, just going through stuff. And it's like, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that the Lord allows us to see these things because it helps put things in the proper perspective. And then we begin to see truly what is a liability in our lives and what truly is an asset you see many times we think we invest a lot of time in a lot of stuff but when reality starts striking and the 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 reality of life starts hitting us we begin to really assess what our life's composed of and what we're spending our life doing and who we're involved with and who we're engaged with and many times we come to find out the things that we thought were were assets are actually liabilities and it's through the suffering of life that we can go through that and then we figure out, okay, well, <laughs> my biggest asset is Jesus Christ. I better start spending more time with him. I better start fellowshipping more with him and his people. And uh, it's a good thing. So suffering, uh, it's like you think of Joseph. Look at all the suffering Joseph went through. But look at how God used it for his glory. I heard a great message and I'm sorry, I just got to share real quick because it was so poignant. But just from a human perspective. Looking at Joseph's situation. What if Joseph said, cried out, said, oh, Lord, I'm in this pit. Help me. Send me back. I need, I, need, I need to be saved. Okay. Joseph would have went back. His dad would have been happy. But what about all his brothers that already threw him in the, in, in, into the pit and sold him as a slave? They probably would have been super mad. Then what would have happened? They would have for sure killed him. Then what would have happened after that? <laughs> the promise to Abraham would have been null and void. The Messiah never would have came. You see, Moses would have never came. All the prophets. So all these things had to happen in order for the peculiar people to be slaves in, in Egypt 
and 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 to not intermarry. You know that Joseph was one of the only uh, people that ever married an Egyptian. Why? Because the Egyptians were clean shaven. They were like Ugh, these people that they're they're hairy and stuff, and so they looked at them as dirty. But that was all part of God's plan, too, to keep them a peculiar people, right? So all these things have to happen. So from our human understanding, when we look at suffering, we're like, man, this sucks. Why am I going through this? Why are they? Why is my family going through this? But God has a sovereign plan. Amen. And he is still on the throne. We have to trust that he knows what's best. His ways are not our ways. So that when we do go through the difficulties of life, we can still praise him and still hold on to these promises that are so dear to us that he has in his word um i'll share one more thing i gotta share it, it, it just it, it, it was such a it was such a powerful thing that hit me this week i was in a training uh, early this week and uh the ceo of, of of the company i worked for he was in on the training he was doing a philosophy training on you know the the, the culture uh that that we serve and the community we serve and you know kind of the do's and don'ts blah blah, blah. he did a little quick and dirty list and he said something that was very that struck me uh, he said, I don't promise anything to any of these clients. He said, because I can't sometimes provide what they need. And we're, we're, we're a service that we provide what these, what these clients need. So he said, if, if, you, if you ever say you're going to do something, you better do it. You better come through. And immediately when he said, I don't, <laughs> I don't make promises, it, 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 the Lord showed me, yeah, you you know, I didn't say it out loud. I would have got fired. <laughs> but, he, but, I, but, I, but the Lord showed me, yeah, you don't make promises because you're a man. You can't keep your promises because you're a man. But I know someone who keeps every single promise, every jot and every tittle to the very last. He keeps his promises. And that's God. And it's just a beautiful thing. Just go through the word this week and look for the promises of God. Hold those dearly to your heart. Because I know we're all going through difficulties in life, some more difficult than others, but it doesn't matter. We're all still going through something. And again, this all goes back to the whole point of how we approach God and how we leave God. So we can leave uh, you know, a situation far better off knowing that we've given everything to him and we've approached him in the correct manner. Amen. All right. With that, we're in Revelation chapter 20. This morning, we're starting this chapter. We're going to be in verses 1 through 6. This message is entitled, The Thousand Years. It was pretty, it was pretty funny. Uh, Veronica was doing the slides, and I came in this morning, and I, and I saw, it says, Welcome, church, and it just has a mallet, and it says, Judgment. <laughs> and I said, I said, Hey, man, if we, if we happen to have any visitors, man, if they're not in the right frame of mind, they're going to be like, I'm out of this, I'm out of this place. <laughs> Welcome to church, Judgment. Oh, where's the love? But, you know, again, all in context, we come to understand that his judgments are righteous and they're true. And there's a reason why he goes about things, how he goes about them. And so, you know, handling, rightly handling the word of God is so important and having the right context because God is so good. Uh, you know, he, he's given so much time for people to repent. And so when his judgment does come down, it's because it's uh, it's time. Uh, but with that, we're in Revelation chapter 20. Yes, sir. That was last week, yes, sir. No worries. It's all good. It's all good. Take your time. You know, we're not, we're not bound by any technology. That's why you still, still bring old trusty, whether it's in this form or if you're, you know, in the digital age, you got it on your cell phone. Uh, you know, don't ever come here without the sword of the spirit. You better have your own. We got two in back there in case you don't have any. I don't care. You can mark them up if you want, but bring your sword of the spirit. All right. 
Um, in any event, um, as Lou's getting that done, don't worry about it. Um, if you could, please stand for the reading of God's word. Once again, we're in Revelation chapter 20, and we'll be in verses 1 down through 6. This message is entitled, The Thousand Years. And it says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding on his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit, and shut it and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer, until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw a throne, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Verse 5. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection over such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you for your omnipotence. Thank you for your all knowing presence. Father, you hold all things in your hand and you reveal things as you see fit for us to receive them. Father, we pray that you would impart within us the wisdom that we need to understand, to rightly divide your word this morning. May you show us how this should drive us to cling to your son, Jesus Christ, how we should take account of how we are living, Lord, and sub submit ourselves to you at your feet, Lord. May our lives be able to be transparent before you, Lord. It, it doesn't matter how we posture ourselves before men and women, but how do we stand before you? What are we doing when nobody's looking, when it's just you and I? Am I living a life of integrity? Am I living a life of close relationship? Am I living a life of action? Father, help us to be those that would live as your followers and to do as you say. Give us the ability and the strength and the love to be obedient. Father, we thank you and we love you. It's in Jesus Christ's mighty name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, yeah, uh, Revelation 20, 1 through 6. And, uh, you know, it's all good. I mean, if it's a... Uh, if it's an issue, don't even don't even worry about it. I will make a disclaimer. Uh, there is a lot of doctrine in this message in the sense of there are a lot of verses. There are a lot of scripture that undergird this text and this main point. So much so that I don't have enough time. And you know how I like to read verses. <laughs> I don't have enough time to read literally all the verses that are entailed in her here. I've highlighted some that I will share that are, you know, uh, that, that undergird the text. But if you're one that takes notes, just kind of hopefully you can hear 
<laughs> the ones that I'm just going to kind of rattle off and, and then you can go back in your own time of study and uh, unearth all this truth for yourself to see how uh, the word of God is just so true. But yeah, I just wanted to, to make that disclaimer because um, I will be listing off uh, a lot of verses in, in, uh, in our message this morning. But so last week we, we looked at uh, the fact that the Lord's patience towards humans is, is not going to last forever, right? It's going to come to an end eventually. Um, there's certainly a window of opportunity to respond to the call of repentance upon an individual's life, but that window is not going to be open forever. At some point, that window is going to shut, that door is going to close, and there will no longer be the opportunity to, to receive Christ as Savior and Lord. Um, the rider on the white horse, once he returns, we know when Jesus Christ returns, um, it's coming to that time. Uh, the Battle of Armageddon will be the most bloody affair that mankind has ever seen. There's going to be carnage unparalleled to anything the world has experienced up until that point. And again, it will be because people have been seduced and deceived by Satan's deception, and they've embraced it. They've embraced it as truth. People of all backgrounds, doesn't matter if what color you are, what culture you come from, doesn't matter if you're wealthy or rich, doesn't matter if you're poor as dirt, um, everyone will be affected by this. And everyone who refuses to submit to Jesus Christ and rather believe the lies of the devil will be in that camp. Uh, the world, the nations of the world will come together at some point to try to wage war, a one last stand, if you will, against the mighty hand of God, but they will fail miserably. And that's what leads us to our text this morning in Revelation chapter 20. Uh, the first main point of several is this. Satan will be bound for a thousand years before he is cast into hell forever. As you hear that, thousand years, at least this is where my mind went. We always need to remember that God's ways are always different from our ways. His ways are far above what we think or what we conceive. You see, he has a divine purpose for everything that he does or he allows. Some people would ask, well, why is the devil bound for only a thousand years? And that's, that's a legitimate question. That's a great question. The answer is this. The fact is there will be two sets of people who, we, who will live in the earth during the millennial kingdom, which is the thousand years when Jesus returns and also when Satan will be bound. There will be two kinds of people. Those who will have glorified bodies and those who will be living in earthly bodies. Those with earthly bodies will have lived through the tribulation period and into the millennial kingdom. And those with glorified bodies are the church and the resurrected martyrs of the tribulation. You can read about that in Revelation chapter 20 verses 4 through 6. It tells us about this. This resurrection is mentioned right after Satan is bound for a thousand years. Now, you might think that nothing could possibly go wrong during this thousand year period since Satan has no power. He's been rendered ineffective for this period of time. But the truth is, during the millennium, God will still allow people to choose whether or not they want to accept him as Messiah and God Almighty and the Savior of their life or not. Those with earthly bodies will still be bearing children during the thousand years and there will be many people who still must have to make a choice. At the end of those thousand years, Satan will be released from the abyss 
and he will continue to deceive the nations and there will be a large rebellion against God. Uh, The rebellion is short-lived and fire will come down from heaven and devour them all. While Satan is bound for a thousand years, God allows one last opportunity for those to be who are born in that time to choose him. During, during the millennial kingdom, God will show us that even in the absence of Satan, there will be those whose hearts are deceitfully wicked and who will be ripe for deception. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 tells us, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And again, this is the whole reason why we need a savior. This is the whole reason why Jesus came to earth, 100% God, 100% man, because of the fall and sin entering into the world. It's interesting because all of creation does groan. I had this conversation with Kalos this morning. He was asking me, um, I can't remember what he was asking me, but it, it, came to the, it came to the whole point of, yes, all of creation. Oh, we were talking about the rocks crying out and what that means. It means that all of the environment, all of the created beings, everything knows who its creator is. Uh, even in, you know, diamonds breathe. I mean, I'm not getting all weird, but, you know, diamonds breathe, organisms, they, they, everything understands it's created. And, 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 and the earth groans. I mean, you just look at the news. There's stuff going on, and um, there's a typhoon that's supposed to hit Manila soon. There's a, you know, a hurricane that's supposed to hit Florida uh, next week. Uh, Puerto Rico's already been hit. Canada's been hit. There's all kind of stuff going on. And all of the earth is groaning because of sin, and it's awaiting the a return of the Messiah. All of creation. All of creation knows. And this is why, because of sin. And, and this is why our hearts are deceitfully wicked. That's why Jeremiah was penned what he penned in Jeremiah chapter 17. And that's why in the millennia, millennium, people are going to have to decide whether or not, just like now, will they receive Christ as Savior or will they walk away? The second main point is this. All who have remained faithful to Jesus Christ will be part of the first resurrection. Daniel chapter 2 verse 12 says, summarizes this uh, two different, very different fates that are facing mankind. And in Daniel, Daniel, excuse me, chapter 2, verse 12, it says, Many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. You see, everyone will raise from the dead. Every single person will resurrect but not everyone will share the same destiny. The New Testament reveals that there will be two separate resurrections for the just and the unjust. Revelation chapter 20 verses 4 through 6 mentions a first resurrection and identifies those involved as blessed and holy. Who in here doesn't want to be blessed? Who in here doesn't want to be holy, chosen, set apart? Well, that's all the people that are part of the first resurrection. The second death, the lake of fire, in Revelation chapter 20, verse 14, has no power over us, the church, those individuals. The first resurrection is the raising of life of all believers. Jesus Christ taught of the resurrection of the just in Luke chapter 14, verse 14, and the resurrection of life. The first resurrection will take place in various stages. Number one, Jesus Christ himself, the first fruit, 
that is spoken of in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20, paved the way for the resurrection of all who believe in him. The second part of that is the resurrection of the dead in Christ at the Lord's return. You can read about that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. And then where we're at in our context this morning, the resurrection of the martyrs at the end of the tribulation, Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. So it's very important that we understand this basic fundamental belief, this concept that everyone's going to rise. You're not going to come back as a dragonfly. That's just not happening. You're not just going to be off in oblivion with some body parts somewhere and, some, and, and your ashes scattered off into the, in the atmosphere somewhere around Mars. That's, that's not how it goes. It's not going down like that. And people say, well, what about this person was cremated? And what about this person was chopped up? And hey, if the God of all creation can create this universe and this earth and have us on solid ground while this earth is rotating and spinning, I'm not going to put it past him to resurrect a body that's been chopped up and ashes have come back. You know, somehow supernaturally, he's going to do it and we're going to have to make an account. You're probably going to be whatever. You're going to have the scars on you, whatever you're going to have, but you're going to be stand before him. You're going to resurrect. So we want to be part of that first camp for sure. We want to know for sure that I am part of the first resurrection. Amen. All right. The third main point is this. The second resurrection is the wicked judged by God at the great white throne judgment before being cast into the lake of fire. It's not popular. It's not politically correct. It's not going to get people in the seats at the church house. But it is the reality of what scripture says. The second resurrection is the raising up of all unbelievers. So the second resurrection is connected to the second death. It's connected with Jesus' teaching of the resurrection of damnation. John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29 tell us, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, and those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. The event which divides the first and the second resurrections, this is the millennial kingdom. This is what we're talking about this morning. This is the thousand year period where the church will reign with Christ on earth and will be given authority through Christ to judge in the sense of we're going to stand with him. We're his bride, so we are identifying with him in every righteous thing that he's calling righteous. We're able to say, yes, amen. Let it be so. Yes, that's true. We're not going to be like a mount, like Judge Juby, Judy, you know, handing down judgment on people. But, but we are standing with Christ as one with him, as the body of Christ, seeing, yes, this is not good. Or yes, this is good. I have to make it. I have to apologize. So last week I made a, I made a, actually the last couple of weeks. Uh, I've been making the mistake of saying it's over. It's over. It's done. There's, there's no more. Uh, there's no more opportunity for anyone to, to be saved. And, and I was wrong in that. And I was corrected this week. I said there were no more chances for people to repent and come to Christ. Again, we're talking about this, this, this thousand year period, this period of time right here, what we're talking about in the text this morning. This is the last time of people being able to receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ and be raised with him in new life. 
This is it. This is the time. So I can say for sure, for certain, after this thousand year period, that's it. That's it. But you don't want to wait <laughs> until the thousand year period. It's like the, the, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. If you sense the Lord knocking on the door of your heart. I mean, I had to go through things this week. I had to go through things yesterday where it's like, okay, Lord, yeah, it hurts. <laughs> like, that's like a hard pill to swallow. But it's like, okay, Lord, yeah, I got to get right with you. I got to get right with, with the person that, that I've offended. And, 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 and that's just real. We respond to that because if you let it fester, it only gets worse. Your, your fellowship with the Lord is hindered. Your relationship with other people are, are, is damaged. And then all kind of other stuff creeps in. I mean, I can see it now. I'm like, something happens. And then I'm like, okay, I'm holding my tongue. And while I'm holding my tongue, what's going on? Satan's just boom, 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 boom. And it's like, if I don't nip that thing in the bud right then and there, it's like my mind starts going in an opposite direction. And if you don't handle it, then you start, oh, yeah, yeah, I am right. Oh, I do have a valid uh, point on that. And then, you know, people in points, we go on and on for days debating this and that. But it's like, you know, there's a resentment. There's a hurt there. It needs to get dealt with. I don't care who's right or who's wrong. You know, many times when you're right, you still need to humble yourself. You still sometimes, if someone is offended and hurt, obviously led by the Holy Spirit, sometimes you still, need even, you still need to apologize, even though you didn't do anything wrong. Talk about counterintuitive to the way we think. You see, it's the love of Christ that is going to draw men and women to himself. It is not this, I'm going to be combative because I'm right. That's not it. That is legalism. I understand there's a whole, there's a whole point of casting your, your pearls before swine. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is being sensitive. What, 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 what does it say in the scripture about eating meat offered to idols? If some people aren't there and they can't deal with that for the sake of your brothers and sisters, don't engage in that even though you don't have no guilty conscience about it. You see, but many times we don't think of our neighbors as ourselves, so we don't even consider it. We're just like, this is my right. I'm doing it. Do, do we cause another brother or sister to potentially stumble because of our own freedom? And that's the same, that, that lies in the same vein of even if you're right and there's a disagreement and something happens and someone's, someone's hurt and you've offended them, sometimes you still need to apologize. Then they recognize their life. It's, again, it's, 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 that, it's, that, it's that hot coal <laughs> being heaped on their head. He said, love your enemies. You don't, don't lash out. Don't, don't fight them the way they're fighting you, but win them with humility. Win them with the love of God. Now, I'm not saying take, being taken advantage of and being used. Again, that, that's that whole thing of casting your pearls before swine. That's why discernment is in place. But I know in my personal life, many times when I'm like, I don't want to apologize. I don't, I don't want to, or maybe it's just asking for forgiveness. I don't want to ask for forgiveness. I didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> that's, the, that's the very time you got to do it. You know, again, it's the love of Christ that will draw men onto himself. Going back to this whole thousand year period. Some people will be saved during the millennial reign of Jesus Christ on this earth, but the rest of the dead, the wicked will not rise up again until the thousand years is over. You see, you and I, 
will rejoice like never before by attending the first resurrection. I can guarantee you right now, I can, I know this for a fact. The way that we, how would it be if we truly knew and understood we are a part of the first resurrection? We would be shouting and screaming and singing like we've never sung before whenever we got the opportunity to. We would be sharing our conviction and the truth of the gospel with anyone we came in contact with if we really, really saw the gravity of what's going on and how we've been included into this wonderful thing. We wouldn't hesitate. We would not hesitate. We would be the first ones quick. We wouldn't be like the priest and the Levite to see this person all bloody to messed up and just say, oh, not my business. Oh, I'm too busy. I can't do that. But it's like, if, if, if not you, then who? <laughs> if not you, then who? If not me, then who? Right? When we really understand being a part of the first resurrection, man, it's, it would change the outlook of how we view people and how we view life. Again, assets and liabilities. We would reassess what we think is really important. And we would invest more time into kingdom work, kingdom business. That's the only reason why you and I are still here on this earth. Kingdom business. It's about his business. I'm about my father's business. I'm not about doing what I want to do. But see, that's the conflicting thing. And we all struggle with that. And I get that. I'm not here to condemn you. I fall in the same category. The flesh is constantly combating the spirit. And so that's why, again, having your center of gravity in line with the Lord, you're going to be far better able to navigate through the things of life to be more on the mindset of I'm doing things for the Lord and I'm not allowing my flesh to take over because that's what we struggle with. And it's a, it's a big thing here. It's a big thing when we have, we're so, uh, how can I say, we're so, we're so bombarded with this life and this reality but this life and this reality is not all there is. There is an eternal kingdom that we are a part of. We have to have an eternal mindset, a kingdom mindset. We go into the world with a kingdom mindset, not looking at everything as it is, as it seems to be, because it's all fleeting, it's all passing away. Every achievement, every Super Bowl trophy is going to rust Every expensive Gucci whatever that's ever been made is going to be ridden with holes and moths are going to eat it up. What Prada, what Vogue says is important and in fashion, it's all passing away. It's eternal things that truly matter. And the salvation of one's soul is of utmost importance to the Lord Jesus Christ. And what you and I do with the time we've been given, we are all going to be accountable for. It's so much more than this little room on a Sunday morning. It's everything we do outside of these walls. That's what counts. That's what counts. It's what counts when nobody's looking. What are you and I doing? What are we compelled to do? What are we moved with compassion to do through the power of the Holy Spirit directing us? Man, it's a powerful thing. It will literally change our lives. The Word of God will do that. Amen? All right, let's look at verse 1. It says, then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding his hand, holding in his hand, excuse me, the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. So this first phrase, an angel coming down from heaven. 
The angel that will subdue Satan is anonymous. We don't know. Bible scholars don't know. Anyone who tells you they know, they're lying. <laughs> and I know who it is. It's not Jesus Christ himself. We don't see it in the text, nor is it Michael or Gabriel. It doesn't say. It doesn't say it's any other high-ranking angel. The final importance of Satan is perhaps indicated in the fact that it is not the Father who deals with him, nor Christ, but only an unnamed angel. The application that we can draw from this is simply, this is a dramatic statement that Satan is not God's opposite nor equal, and that God could easily stop Satan's activity at any time. The fact that God sends, you know, an unnamed angel is showing us that he's making light work of Satan. Oh, it's, <laughs> you know, it's a... Uh, Let's blow him off. He's nothing. He's nothing compared to God. We talked about this last week. They're not in a wrestling match. Uh, Jesus is not jockeying for position to overtake Satan. Again, the word of God, his word. I understand the fact that he went to the cross, and I would never dismiss that. Yes, that is such a great thing. That is so needed. It's all through Scripture. It's all through the Old Testament that the shedding of blood for the remission of sins had to be something that was done. What I'm saying is God is so great, so mighty, so all-powerful that just by a word, he annihilates the enemy. He will undo this world and redo and recreate in a word, in a word. All you have to do is go back to the beginning of Genesis. The Holy Spirit hovered over the water. He spoke and things came into existence. Let there be light. He didn't need an electrician. He didn't need PG&E with hard hats, with all this mechanical stuff, with all this computer technology, which I like how Daniel told me a while ago, you know, technology is really just an extension of our minds, <laughs> which, is, which is very interesting. And if you want to know more about that, have a conversation with Daniel after service. But, you know, um, again, God's ways are far greater. That's just so powerful that the fact that he just spoke. He just spoke and it was. And when you and I speak truth in the authority of Christ because we have a right relationship with him, the words that you speak, the scripture that you speak annihilates these demons. It gets them off your back like nothing. He don't care about your opinion. Once you start saying, God said... <laughs> Satan starts running. These demons start trembling. <laughs> Once you say, God said, the scriptures say, Jesus said, that, that's what matters. It's so real. It's so real. <sighs> you see, God allows Satan to continue because even in Satan's evil, he indirectly serves the purposes of God. This is the whole thing of God being sovereign. This is all go back to Joseph, all the stuff that Joseph went through. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. I heard a great message this morning. And the pastor said, 50, 20 vision. You got to have 50, 20 vision. <laughs> what? 50, 20 vision? The doctors say 20, 20 vision is the best. 50, 20 vision. He was talking about this verse. As for you, you meant evil against me but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today you see we have to view life through this lens because if not we start saying well 
I don't love God because if God was real God, if God was real, then he wouldn't let innocent people suffer. Have you ever heard that? Why does God let good people get hurt? Why do bad things happen to good people? That is that is that is that is straight from hell. <laughs> that is not taught in the Bible. What we should rather say is, why do you allow evil people to do good? <laughs> why, why do you save good? Why do you save bad people and make them right? But this whole thing about about good people uh, having evil done to them—that's no, that's not, that's not correct. That's not correct because all of us are broken. All of us are messed up. All of us are marred by the effects of sin, and. There is evil that comes in because we do it to ourselves. We do it to ourselves. They say, don't cross the street without looking or you're going to get hit by a car. Or don't smoke these cigarettes because they're going to give you cancer. (laughs) And we go ahead and we go do it anyways. And then we end up with cancer and we wonder why we're sick. You see, that's evil that we bring about on ourselves because of our foolish choices. And then there's other evil that happens where it's not our own doing, but it's allowed to happen to us. Remember, we have to understand all of our suffering should point us back to Christ, should point us back to the one who suffered the most on our behalf so that we could be saved. Now, I can't explain why people, some people suffer more than others in this life. I can't. But what I do know is this verse is so true in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. Satan meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. That we must rest upon and have peace about to be able to get through. Amen? All right. Uh, Verses uh, 2 and 3 in Revelation 20. And it says, And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit, and shut it, and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer. Until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. So we see this. They, uh, he was seized. He was bound. He was cast. He was shut up. He was, had a seal set on him. He was not able to come out. Remember, Satan's always a counterfeit, right? That's all he does is he counterfeits. Remember, Satan tried to imprison Jesus Christ in a tomb. But he, he couldn't. <laughs> he didn't. Right? He, he, he thought that he had defeated Jesus. Here, God has no problem restraining Satan. And this incarceration is not for punishment, but for restraint. Remember, he will be cast into hell for eternity. That is Satan's punishment. Right now, it's for him to be restrained. Satan's demonic armies are also restrained and imprisoned. Again, some would ask the question, is this literal? Will this really happen? In my estimation of what the Lord has revealed to me in the word, the word of God, certainly it is. You see, the battle is literal. The taking of the beast and the false prophet is literal. The slaying of the kings and their armies is literal. Satan is literal. He's real. And his binding must be equally literal. This must be something that is not just some whimsical spiritual thing. This is something that's going to manifest itself in the physical realm. You see... It will not resolve itself any other way. It's just like Jesus Christ going to the cross and having to allow his blood to be shed and him resurrecting from the dead. Can't find the body because he's seated at the right hand of God. It is real. Other people will say, skeptics, well, what kind of chain could possibly hold the devil? 
Well, I'm going to just tell you, I don't know what kind of chain could bind the devil. But God can fashion a chain for that exact purpose. We know that right now, there are demonic spirits who are imprisoned and chained. Jude chapter 1 verse 6 tells us clearly, And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he, speaking of God, has kept them in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. You see, that's how raw it is. That's how raw all this stuff is about, you know, yes, bad, good, uh, you know, angels, demons, that the fact that God has restrained all kind of demonic hosts that aren't even allowed to out right now. You see how wicked this world is already? You see how possessed people run around doing all kind of nonsense and just, just living in debauchery and running around with, with, a, with a mind that's reprobate? No conscience, conscious seared? This is with demons still being held back. When all that gets let loose, forget about it. It's going to be off the chain, pun intended. It's going to be no joke. You see, if God can chain them now, he can certainly chain Satan for a thousand years. Some take this as Satan's binding on a personal level, believing that this refers to how Satan's work can be restrained in the life of an individual. This view is completely incorrect. And it, it does not take the text seriously. You know, when someone says, I bind the devil in their prayers. We have to understand this is a work done on a divine initiative. It is the Holy Spirit. It is the power of Jesus Christ that binds any demonic force. That is why <laughs> those, those poor young men that got whooped up trying to use the name of Jesus Christ, they ran out naked and bloodied because they didn't have a right relationship. They didn't commune with Christ. It wasn't authentic. It wasn't genuine. They did not submit all of their, their lives. They didn't lay upon Christ as, Lord, you are my all in all. So they did not have the right to use the name of Jesus Christ in any effect to come against any unclean spirit. And that's the same thing with us. You can't hold up no crucifix. I don't know, one, one old vampire movie, I can't remember, my, my, one of my older brothers, he said something like, yeah, it's like that old vampire movie, and the vampire told the priest, man, you, you, need, you, you need to have a connection to use this. And he like, the vampire grabbed the cross and threw it, <laughs> threw it to the ground. The poor priest couldn't do nothing. You see, because it's not all this, it's not all that. It's about the relationship, and it's about him. If he is your Lord of Lord and your King of Kings, then in that you have the authority. You're a herald, right? A herald's job was, ah! he just went out into the middle of the town and the village and started yelling out whatever the king said to say. And that's us. We're just heralds. That's all I'm doing up here. I'm just a herald. I'm just a poor beggar saying, hey, this is what, <laughs> this is what Abba Father said, and I'm saying it, right? But in order for it to have effect in my own personal life, I have to have a right relationship with God. It can't be this fake thing where I just show up on a Sunday, 
or I show up on a whatever day. It's like, no, every day I get out of bed and it's like, Lord, you got me out of bed. Drop into my, drop into my knees. Everything that's going on. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praising him. Give me direction. Give, show me. Help me. Help me to love people, right? That's the biggest thing. That's the biggest thing that I'm going through right now is like, help me to really love people in a tangible way. Come alongside people. Be, get involved in their lives. May they sense the love. May it not just be words. Nobody wants to hear it. Show me. Show me you love me, right? Show me you love me. And that's what we're dealing with here. But in order to bind Satan, it has to be through the work of the Holy Spirit, not by any human effort. Next, we see that he should uh, not deceive the nations anymore. This shows us that Satan's main mode of attack is revealed. Satan is a deceiver. He's a Decepticon. If you were into uh, Transformers, you know, Autobots, Decepticons. He's a deceiver. He's a Decepticon. So the most potent defense and weapon against Satan is the truth of God's word. You see, this is why it's so important, saints, for us to have God's word hidden in our hearts. It's not homework. It's survival. It's not homework. Don't look at reading the word of God as, oh, it's so grueling. I mean, I'm in Leviticus right now. Ten years ago, I would have been like, I'm not reading Leviticus. What? Or numbers. Ah! You know? But it's like, this is my bread of life. This is fortifying me. This is, this is insulating my life with truth. So that when the fiery darts come, and the uppercut from Satan come, and the sword trying to chop my head off come, I'm going to be able to withstand because I'm insulated with God's word. To the point where at the blink of an eye, you're just spouting off verses and it's because you mean it and you know they have effect. And it's like, oh, I'm good now. I'm good now. But that's so real. But again, the importance of God's word. You see, falsehood can have no power over us until we are led to believe and conclude that it is true. Meaning we're being deceived. Don't let yourself be deceived. I have a question. Is your conscience clear or is your conscience seared? You see, many times we are deceived into believing that our consciences are clear when in fact we've been dabbling in sin so much that our consciences become seared <laughs> when we're not living right. And the deluding of men and getting them to accept and follow lies and false hopes under the persuasion that they are accepting and following the truth is the great work of Satan in every age. So you see, that's why we have to be able to spot out the truth. Remember, the people that work in the government that, I mean, I'm sure, I don't know if they do it now because we don't really care much about, you know, paper money, but they would study, they would study the real bill so that when they saw the fake, they could spot it out because they know the real so good. When you're in the Word of God, you know the real, and you're like, oh, I'm not going there. I'm not subscribing to that. No, that's, that's, that's heresy. I'm not listening to that. I'm not supporting that, per I'm not supporting that ministry. They're, they're, off, they're off the hook. <laughs> I'm not going there. I'm not engaging with that. But you see, if we don't have the point of reference of what the Word says, like the, like the Bible says, we're going to be swayed by any wind of doctrine. You know, you'd be like, I'm so confident I'm saved one day. And then the next minute you're like, I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know. Maybe I need to give more. <laughs> maybe I need to pray more. Maybe I, maybe I need to read more. Maybe I need to hang out with more Christians. Maybe I need to, you know, and it's like, no. <laughs> you need to just submit your life to Jesus Christ and you're good. 
It's not, a, it's not about all that. But if we are not in the word, then we are gonna we are gonna be clueless when it comes. When and I'm telling you, the, I guarantee you this afternoon an attack's gonna come. Somehow, some way, an attack is gonna come. You may think it's nothing, it's an attack. It's an attack, straight up. It, it, Satan is so subtle. And that's that's his that's his thing that, that he ends up we end up being like, oh, well, it's nothing. No, that was an attack from the enemy. Don't get it twisted. You know, he always tries to come around and get us to think it ain't him when it's him, clearly. The application is this. Just take hold of Jesus Christ and never let him go. We know that Satan was not bound at the finished work of Christ on the cross. He was defeated in the end of all things, but we know that he's not bound just because Christ uh, died and re- resurrected. We know this because Peter said this in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Again, you're not going to get devoured if you know the truth. You're not. You're going to get combated, <laughs> right? I, mean, I think back to, again, when, when Joshua took over uh, being led uh, by the Holy Spirit to, to lead the people of Israel into the promised land. He was given a promise that they were going to take the land. But we all know in, 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 when you deal with humans and armies, there's bloodshed. So there's going to be difficulty. They were going to face adversity, but they were going to overcome. They were going to take the land. They were going to seize the land. It was going to be their prized possession. And what did the Lord say to Joshua? Do not let the law of Moses depart from you. You need to meditate on it day and night. You need to obey it. You need to live it. It needs to be your portion in that way. If we, if he was to hold on to that, they would be, he would be victorious and the Israelites would be victorious. The same way with us. We go through things in life if we hold on to Christ, we hold on to the word, we may come out battered and bruised and scarred and beaten up, but we're going to get through victorious. And that's the thing. I don't want us to, to, to get intimidated because the prospect of it being difficult is in front of us. That is the reality. I know it sucks. I don't want it that way either. But the reality is God didn't promise us we weren't going to go through hardships, but he promised to be with us every step of the way. And in that we should give him all honor, praise, and glory. Amen? Next we see, till the thousand years were finished. The thousand year period is known as the millennium. Throughout church history, there has been many different ways of understanding the millennium. The Bible speaks powerfully to other aspects of the millennial earth. This is a little bit of a history uh, information, but I think it's good for us to understand. Tragically, the church through its history has often ignored or denied the promise of the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. The early church, until Augustine, almost universally believed in an earthly historical reign of Jesus initiated by his return. So the early church believed he's going to come back, you know, in person, in the flesh. We're going to see him face to face. Tychonius in the late 300s was the first of inf- to influentially spread or of a spiritualized interpretation saying that this millennium is now amillennialism and must be understood as a spiritual reign of Jesus and not a literal reign. His view was adapt- adopted by Augustine, the Roman Catholic Church, and most Reformation theologians. 
growing out of amillennialism is the doctrine of postmillennialism, saying the millennium will happen in this age before Jesus' return, but that the church will bring it to pass. Yet the clear teaching of the Bible isn't amillennialism or postmillennialism, but it's what is called premillennialism. This is the teaching that Jesus Christ will return to this earth before the millennial earth and he will establish and govern it directly. The application is simply this. There is no need to say that Satan is only bound in a spiritual sense and that Jesus Christ only rules in a spiritual sense. When we consider the rest of scripture, the earthly reign of Christ and his people on earth is plainly taught in the Old and New Testaments. In the Old Testament, we see it in Psalm chapter 72, Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 through 4, Isaiah chapter 11, verses 4 through 9, Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 5 through 6. I'll read that, but this is where I'm going to get into rattling off scripture just so you guys have the framework. Maybe I should have things typed out. I don't know. But either way, if you can jot them down, jot them down. This scripture says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. And there's many more passages than than that. In the New Testament, we see it in Luke chapter 1, verses 32 and 33. Matthew chapter 5, verse 18. Luke chapter 19, verses 12 through 27. I just share that because, again, it, all, I mean, all Scripture supports this. This isn't just something that somebody pulled out of their ear and just said, oh, this is what it is. No, this is what Scripture says. In all, there are more than 400 verses and more than 20 different passages in the Old Testament which deal with this time when Jesus Christ will rule and reign personally over planet earth he's going to come back he's going to be here there is going to be a thousand years where he is going to reign with his church who will be on the earth in the millennium even after the rapture and the vast judgments of the great tribulation there will still be many people left on this earth after jesus returns in glory he will judge those who survived the great tribulation in the judgment of the nations you can read that in matthew chapter 25 This is not a judgment of salvation, but a judgment of moral worthiness and entrance into the millennial kingdom of Jesus. The unworthy will be sent into eternal damnation and the worthy will be allowed in Jesus, in Jesus's millennial kingdom. Now we see this statement till the thousand years were finished. Some of what we know of the millennium comes from other passages of scripture. During the millennium, Israel will be the superpower of the world leading the nation in all the earth. And the center of Israel will be the mountain of the Lord's house, the temple mount, which which will be the capital of the government of the Messiah. All nations will flow from this capital of Jesus's government. Isaiah chapter two, verses one through three tells us, the word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the later days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established at the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow from it. And many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. 
The application is this. During the millennium, the citizens of earth will acknowledge and submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. It will be a time of perfect righteousness on this earth, something that we haven't seen. Adam saw it, but ever since that, nobody saw it. There will be no more war. There will still be conflicts between nations and individuals, but they will, just, they will be decided justly and decisively resolved by the Messiah and those who reign with them. It isn't the reign of the Messiah itself that will change the hearts of men because people are still going to have to trust in him for his work for them to be saved. But war and armed conflict will not be tolerated. And this goes back to the, the animals, things I was talking to Kalos about. The way animals relate to each other and to humans will be totally transformed. A little child will be safe and will be able to lead a wolf and a leopard or a young lion and a bear. It's just like where you get that picture, right? It's because this is what's happening, right? They, you can even do studies. We weren't supposed to eat meat, you know? We're supposed to be eating vegetables and fruit. It's only because of the fall that we became like, I'm going to eat some steak, <laughs> that's not that's not what we were supposed to be. We we will be back to that place when that time comes. Even the danger of predators like cobras and vipers will be gone. And I have scripture to back up what I just said in Genesis chapter 9 verses 2 and 3 the Lord gave Noah and all of mankind after him the permission to eat meat. You see, at the same time the Lord put the dread of man in animals so that they would not be effortless prey for humans. Now in the reign of the Messiah that is all reversed. For this reason, man can think that the reign of the Messiah in the millennium, humans will return to being vegetarians as it seems like they were before. Genesis chapter 9 verses 2 and 3 tells us, The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. It's very interesting, you know. So, I mean, it's good to eat meat. It's not a big deal, but, you know, we're not going to be eating it at that point. So, um, I don't know. I guess, Kale, here we come. <laughs> King David... He's going to have a prominent place in the millennial earth ruling over Israel. Hosea chapter 3 verse 5 tells us, Afterwards, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. And I mean, there's so many verses. Isaiah chapter 55 verses 3 through 5. Jeremiah chapter 30 verses 4 through 11. Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel chapter 37. Um, man, it's just so much. It's just so much in the word that supports all this. There will be a rebuilt temple and restored temple service to the earth as a memorial of God's work in the past. And like I said, I think I said it last week, uh, Daniel sent me something and, you know, uh, the heifers, they've already, they're already there. Unmarked, untagged, unyoked. They're already in Israel. They, they landed on what, September 15th, right? So a couple of weeks, a week ago. So all that's already there. They've already been in place preparing the priest to do all these sacrificial offerings, which again is just really pointing to Jesus. But we see that these things are already transpiring. So again, maybe after service, if you want more of these verses, I could give them to you because I'm kind of running out of time. I can't read them all off. But is this a literal thousand years? We should take a number literally unless there is a clear reason or evidence to do otherwise. 
We should take this thousand years literally because God has an important work to accomplish during the millennium. The millennium is important because it demonstrates God's victory over and his worthiness to rule the nations. It's important because it will reveal the depths of man's rebellious nature in a perfect environment. See, everything's going to be right and there's still going to be people that are struggling with sin, even though there's no bad stuff going on. And that shows the depravity of our hearts apart from God. You see, many believe that man is really innocent and corrupted only by the bad environment. But the millennium will answer these questions before the great judgment. The millennium is important because it will display the eternal depravity of Satan who continues his evil as soon as he is released from his incarceration. We have to remember, right? A thousand years is but a day to the Lord and vice versa. So a thousand years, that is a real thing. And then he saw in verse four, I saw the thrones and seated on them were those with the authority to judge who were who. Uh, judgment was committed to them and i saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of jesus christ and for the word of god and those who had not worshiped the beast or its image and had not received the mark on their foreheads and their hands they came to life and reigned with christ for a thousand years well who sits on these thrones we aren't completely sure it could be the 24 elders which represent the entirety of the church it could be the apostles or it could be the company of saints as a whole Judgment was given to them. Perhaps this is the judgment of angels mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 2 and 3. But it is more likely that these are the saints that are ruling on and over the earth. And again, it says they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. These saints reigned with Jesus for the same period of time that Satan is bound. They administrate the kingdom of Jesus Christ over the earth, reigning over those who pass from earth to the great tribulation, to the earth and of the millennium. And we see those who were beheaded, those who did not worship the beast or take the mark, all those who overcome Jesus or overcome Satan by Jesus Christ will reign with him. So that means if you remain faithful, if you live out your life in obedience to Jesus, you will reign, I will reign with him. Why does God, uh, excuse me, why does John mention the tribulation saints? They are specifically mentioned to encourage them while not implying others will be left out. This is a special vindication for tribulation saints. They suffered under, under the Antichrist, and now they are in authority, and the Antichrist is destroyed. So these martyrs are literal, but they also represent all that give their lives in faithfulness to Jesus. So they represent you, they represent me. And a, and a side note to support that is beheaded. If you do a word study, it actually is a broader word than just your head being cut off. In the ancient Greek, it really means executed. So anybody that's gone through that is included in, in what is talked about in verse 4. And I'm ending with verse 5 and 6. I'll, I'll wrap it up in just a minute here. And it says, The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. It's very important because we remember the scripture says that every man is to be a priest of his home. And that's a great, that's a great responsibility. That's a great gift of God. And so we see it encouraged again right here about being a priest. This is the first resurrection. The first resurrection is... is is the granting of, of, of resurrected life 
to all those who are dead in Christ. This is a resurrection of blessedness because blessed are, are and holy are he. This is a resurrection of power over such the second death has no power over it. This is a res resurrection of privilege. Again, they shall be priests and they shall reign. We shall reign with him for a thousand years. Oh, this part is not good. The rest of the dead. Those who do not have part in the first resurrection are not blessed. They are under the power of the second death and they are without privilege. Again, uh, John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out of it. And those who have done good, they will resurrect to life. And those who have done evil will resurrect. It will be of the resurrection of the judgment. As Michelle and Isaiah come up, I'll end with these, this last point. The two events are separated by this thousand year period because the rest of the dead are not given their resurrection bodies until this is over. This is something to consider. Some would say the first resurrection is a singular event. It argues well for a post-tribulation rapture because it implies that all saints receive their resurrected bodies at the same time, immediately before, immediately before the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. If the first resurrection is an order of class encompassing previously dead believers, the raptured church, and saints from the Great Tribulation, then the idea fits a pre-tribulation framework. This is interesting. Donald Barnhouse, if you know who he is, the late great Donald Barnhouse, great in the sense that he was just a great servant of the Lord from Philadelphia, he says in the phrase first resurrection, it must be especially emphasized that our phrase in the apocalypse covering this resurrection is a retrospect that looks back over all three phases of the resurrection. The first resurrection is not an event, but an order of resurrection, including the righteous who are raised from dead before the millennium kingdom begins. And the bottom line is this. However, the first resurrection is going to work out, right? That's a lot of technical stuff. If you want to nerd out on the word, you can find out about that in your own time. But the reality is you want to be included in it. <laughs> you want to be in the first resurrection, you don't want to be left out. You don't want to be left behind. Like, you know, Kirk Cameron, the whole movie Left Behind, they came out with a board game for it. I mean, you don't want to be left behind. May we take seriously the call upon our lives as Christians to, one, minister to God and bless Him by our obedience to Him. That's number one. Number two, may we equip the saints of God, encouraging and spurring one another along for every good work. And three, may we spread the good news to all who come across our way, leading them to wisdom and power through the Holy Spirit. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we, we just can't say enough about your love for us. Thank you that you don't forget about us. Thank you that you are merciful. Thank you that you always point us in the right direction. Help us break our stubbornness Help us to be meek. Father, we thank you and we love you. It's in the mighty name of Jesus Christ that we pray.